This episode is sponsored by Squirrel Sisters. Squirrel Sisters is a health and wellness company founded by sisters Gracie and Sophie Tyrrell, who are on a mission to help you treat your health. As we all know, I love my food, but one thing I tend to struggle with is the balance between being healthy and indulging in quote-unquote snacks. I like to keep my sugar consumption reasonably low without restricting myself on tasty treats and that's where Squirrel Sisters come in. They have a range of healthy snacks, bars and nibbles that can be found in stores across the nation including Waitrose, Holland and Barrett, Selfridges and online on Amazon. All their products are 100% natural, vegan, gluten-free and made with the highest quality ingredients and most importantly, do not have any added sugars. It's a win-win for all. My personal favourite is the Cacao Orange Energy Bars, which taste just like a Terry's Chocolate Orange, but without all the bad stuff. Follow the brand on Instagram, at Squirrel Sisters. And just to make your life even more exciting, Squirrel Sisters are offering all listeners a 25% discount off everything on their website. Use the code CRAZYSEXYFOOD at checkout. And now for the episode. Hello and welcome to the Crazy Sexy Food Podcast. I'm Hannah Harley-Young, a photographer by trade and a foodie at heart. Each week I sit down and chat all things food with well-known foodies, industry insiders, chefs and people who just love their food. Today I'm joined by Sammy Tamimi. If you don't know him by name, you definitely and have probably eaten his food. As co-founder of Ottolenghi, the delis around London synonymous for their Middle Eastern take of everything that is great in life, food, Sammy is also the co-brainchild behind their restaurants Nopi and Rovi. From Palestinian heritage, Sammy brings a really exciting new taste to many of the dishes I have personally had throughout the years, but I am really not doing him or the brand justice. The company is known and loved globally. Having recently released his cookbook, Palestine, with Tara Wigley, also from the Ottolenghi camp, the book takes us on a journey through Sammy's country. The sights, the smells, the people, the tastes, and most importantly, invites us to try Palestinian food in a very relaxed way. The dishes are written for the modern day home cook, aka myself. So it's just the biggest privilege to be here with him and delve into his life, both here as a cook and his childhood in Palestine. Sammy, thank you for joining me. Wow, what an introduction. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me. How do you feel hearing that? Um, I kind of um, don't really think about it. I just kind of keep going and want to do more and more and more. you, you often kind of have to stop and just think, wow, what, what have we done over the years? And, you know, we ch- people say we changed our way of eating and living. And it's a kind of very humbling as well to, to take kind of I think it can be feedback quite, like that. It can be quite emotional and or overwhelming when someone else is talking about your achievements. But as you said, I think when you're in it, you're not thinking about it. No. So hearing it back, it's quite like, oh, are you talking about me? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Oh, I'll take that. (laughs) So I always start my interviews with asking what you had for breakfast today. I was really boring this morning. I didn't have any. I just had a couple of uh, biscuits with my uh, with my coffee this morning. Okay. 
because I'm preparing for like a kind of bigger lunch. So what you gonna, what you planning to have? I'm I I feel like something seafood and and fishy kind of yeah steamed or something like that. Ooh, so I'm just gonna kind of run to the fishmonger and get some clams and some white fish and just do maybe a stew with potatoes and there's really lovely asparagus and bit of saffron kind of yeah. perfect love yeah. a little bit of saffron yeah. just to make you feel even more uncomfortable i feel like i'm with royalty because you are the co-founder of Ottolenghi, um as i mentioned and it really is a pleasure to be in your presence talking about our mutual love of food mm-hmm. um, and i guess i just want to say thank you for allowing me to eat well over the past few <laughs> years <laughs> And also, thank you for choosing the areas near where I live and also maybe where I work because it's very convenient for I me. I know, this is where it all started. Which is... Absolutely. You're from Palestinian heritage. Talk to me about Palestinian food. So how would you sum it up in a, in a few sentences? I mean, Palestinian food is very much uh, very similar in a way to um, uh, Syrian and Lebanese. Uh, Jordan also kind of joined the whole effort there because it used to be once a whole um, kind of area called Al Sham. But Palestinian food is a lot about seasonality, f- foraging. They forage a lot, they eat quite a lot of uh, green or kind of around the year. Uh, this is kind of very, very important in, in their diet. Um, they um they celebrate the season they 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 take whatever comes to the season they just kind of get really excited about it and everybody's buying it and they're trying to cook so many ways uh whether you know it's like the green almonds to the the green chickpeas so yeah kind of uh, really love the whole season and also they try to um preserve it or dry it or pickle it nowadays they also freeze a lot so so to keep it going for for, for the, the rest of year. the year and this is very very important also you know the um the generosity and the whole kind of celebrate you know they invite you and they don't want to just give you kind of a meat and two veg yeah. <laughs> they want to give you a whole kind of big, big feast. spread and this is where all these kind of preserved and pickled and uh, frozen stuff come handy because they can do a feast in a couple of hours which is really kind of lovely and growing up what were you eating who cooked was the household a foodie household was it or were you guys kind of just eating for fuel like was it that sort of vibe you know what was was it of huge importance yeah I mean, foodie, foodie is the kind of term that now we think of kind of these uh, trendy influences. But, yeah. <laughs> but actually, yeah, it was a kind of foodie because they, they always discuss food. I mean, uh, it, the house was kind of run by from inside the kitchen. My mom used to basically invite or they would just come relatives or aunties or the neighbors and they would cook together. But also it's a kitchen that kind of ruled by women and they kind of you know the boss there and they talk about a lot of other things apart from just the, the cooking you know this is the ti- this is the time where they can actually discuss women's stuff and you know they always say a group of women are the most dangerous kinds of people altogether. <laughs> yeah well yeah but also they produce 
wonderful food Absolutely. and you know they they um uh, they would choose dishes that takes a lot of time to prepare and a group of them it takes kind of fracture of that time which is really important for uh palestinian kind of um traditional dishes where they kind of time consuming and so yeah I mean, back to the food yeah it was food you know they sit and eat breakfast and it always kind of changes but the, the stables are you know the the bread the the, the cheese a bit of uh, fresh salad olives pickles uh quite a, quite often also eggs in different ways and they will talk about lunch and dinner and then on lunchtime they will talk about the next day literally my life yeah <laughs> <laughs> and they will also talk about the seasonality and they also talk about uh when we're gonna go and to Nablus for example and buy because it's famous for the sweets so they talk about also traveling to different places in Palestine to uh, celebrate whatever comes in the season and so were you finding yourself in the kitchen quite a bit at this time no I was just out by the kitchen <laughs> by my mom and because uh, it's a women world and uh, boys are not uh, really kind of uh, in, in the kitchen Men in the Middle East, I mean, most men don't really cook unless you kind of have it as a profession. Uh, so I used to go and kind of peek and trying to see what's happening. And I wasn't interested in all the kind of talking and the conversation and what they're discussing. I wanted to see what, what they're cooking. And um, yeah, I would be kind of kicked out. And then five minutes later, I'll be kind of coming in and <laughs> trying to see again. They just couldn't get rid of you. Yeah. <laughs> And would you say that food was always the path that you wanted to take? I mean, at what point did you realize, actually, I don't just love food. I actually want to work with food. I want to get into the industry. I want to become a cook. This is what I want to do with my life. So I, until I was probably 15 or 16, I wasn't encouraged to be cook cooking anything and on 17 it was a, a summer holiday from school and I wanted to buy a bike and I my father said just go and find a job and just kind of uh, so I went to work in a hotel as a kind of kitchen porter and uh, this is when everything started I just kind of this new world opened to me where it's it's nothing like my mom's kitchen it was like huge and a big scale and everybody have kind of different jobs and I was so curious and kind of taken by it that uh, I started following people around and see and the chef the head chef saw that, oh, let's try this boy I mean he's he seemed really curious about everything and they started giving me little jobs and I think like a couple of months later I was already running uh, the breakfast um, on myself by myself for like mm. 120 150 people every morning the speed was quite quick. I was a fast learner yeah. and I remembered everything they they told me and uh, and I was really hungry to, to know more and more uh, and I didn't last long in the breakfast because I wanted to learn more so I left the hotel because it's just you know issues I mean it's very kind of um, um, macho kind of big egos and I didn't like it so I left and I started working in different places in Jerusalem first and then I moved to Tel Aviv where 
uh, everything f happened really fast. I mean, I was a head chef, one of the leading restaurants in Tel Aviv. I was 25. Wow, it's very young. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And uh, from there, I um, there was nowhere for me to go. You'd kind of got reached yeah, the pinnacle. I got to the best three restaurants in Tel Aviv. One of them went French, and I was not interested in French food so much. How does French food go down in Israel? I, we have really good French restaurants, really? yeah. But uh, now they're all, all kind of going back to the local ingredients and cooking from, you know, the area. But, you know, you have different... Tel Aviv is booming. Mm. And Jerusalem, not so much because, you know, it's a very lively place. Yeah. <laughs> sort of religious and um, holy places and, yeah, conflict. And, and, and talking about conflict, um, you know, I think as Westerners, in, as a very general term, we are spoken to through mass media about Palestine. Um, and, you know, it always seems to mainly be about the political unrest. You know, it can be quite negative. Talk to me about Palestine with its culture, the food, the ambience. As someone who hasn't been to Palestine, what would I expect to experience if I stepped foot? Yeah, I mean, people, uh, it's true, people are bombarded by negative kind of uh, messages around. And uh, I just think, you know, if it's a foodie place, I would always go. I actually choose places that if I don't, if I know that they're not going to have nice food, I'm not going to go. I'm exactly because it's the just same. Like, just forget it. Like, I, have, I have a list on my phone of places that every so often I'll sort of send to my husband to be like, oh, here's another place we need to go. San Sebastian. Yeah. Have you heard of it? Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't go. Because for me to visit the place, it's very important to eat as well. And Completely. Part of the eating is also... Uh, touching on the culture and knowing the people palestine is it's a very foodie place it's a foodie heaven actually when you when you want to go and i just say go and experience it and they are really lovely people and they want to kind of um, join you in this whole kind of venture of eating and uh, there's quite a lot of uh, there's quite a lot happening like arts and you know there's quite a lot of um, uh, exhibitions and lots of happening um, in terms of you know the the youngest and there's quite a lot of history as well so also you know food history you can do different tours as well if you like and I don't mean like buses or yeah. coaches you're just kind of guided by a local person that kind of takes you from one to the other. and it makes you understand also the area because it's so complicated there mm. now um even just kind of driving around you just have to know where you're going but yeah i mean it's it's a, it's a really lovely this is where Palestine comes in in picture because we wanted to uh kind of um, bring this whole kind of lively culture food um people just live their normal life and you know they, they're not gonna do harm anybody or they just want to kind of live uh, like me and you. I'm going to come to the book in a bit because I actually spent a bit of time reading through a bit parts of it this weekend. So you find yourself in London, 
you meet Yotam um, at Baker and Spice. Correct. Um, and you and I'm I'm really speeding up, but you you know you guys op- start opening up the delis, um, and then the restaurants. And I think what was so wonderful about what you guys were doing at the time, and you know, remember my background, as we mentioned before we started recording, is this sort of Iranian Jewish background. So I was aware of all these covered staples like sumac and zatar and tahini and all this stuff. But you guys were the trailblazers for these this new taste, you know, that, I mean, it wasn't that new, but it was you couldn't just go and buy Zatar and Sumac from Sainsbury's, you know, and suddenly people on like a sort of a high street level were now being introduced to these incredible, incredible flavors. And so do you feel like it was your calling in a way to educate people about these cuisines? Because I think at the time, Lebanese food was quite popular, um, Israeli food sort of, but you know, we didn't, I, I didn't know much about Palestinian food or Jordanian food or, you know, I knew about Persian food, but that was because of my background. Do you yeah. feel like you, you guys had this, this thing that you wanted to go and show the world? What we wanted to achieve, I mean, it wasn't cuisine, it's more the flavors of uh, this region because uh, we grew up on eating that. And uh, I just remember when we both, me and Yotam working at Baker and Spice kind of started talking about opening something and uh, you have very generic Lebanese restaurants there were no any Israelis yet uh, we're talking about you know the end of the 90s yeah. beginning of the 20 and um, Italian delis where they you know they're nice but you know kind of Klimfilm wrap yeah. sandwiches <laughs> and uh, nice parma ham and stuff like that uh, there was a place on uh, Kings Road, uh, the Bluebird, remember? Yeah. This opened kind of around the time that we kind of wanted to, to open. And then it didn't go very well because it was a very confused place. It was kind of, uh, they didn't know what they wanted to do. It was a boutique, it was a shop, it was a restaurant. Was it was everything together. There, yeah. And uh, it was very big as well. And... Uh, what we wanted to achieve is to sell people, uh, first of all, very interesting flavor, a bit healthy, although we sold, you know, all the pastries as well, the cakes, but everything is homemade. Uh, we wanted people to come in and like, oh, I know this dish. And then you try it. Uh, actually, I don't know this dish. I know all the ingredients, but this kind of different from what I know. So the, 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 the tahini and the sumac and the zatar, uh, and the pomegranate molasses are kind of ingredients that we grew up on eating and we wanted to bring them because people didn't know these. I mean, you probably did because you, your background, but a lot, you know, the main, the main kind of customers of uh, Otolenghi didn't really know the, these flavors. And we wanted to also do quite colorful, big kind of, you know, you just walk in because it was such a small place. Uh, was kind of all white. We wanted to make things kind of big and colorful and bold and lots of texture and lots of flavor. And this is what we love to do. I mean, I used to just get in the morning, go to the kitchen <laughs> and then pile them up. And this is what really kind of catch your eye when you walk in, but also, you know, the experience of eating them. 
I mean, the way that you used to, you, well, that you still do present your dishes in sort of, you know, everything's on different levels, huge bowls of colourful salads and meats and fish, you know, whatever else it is. It's kind of a, like a, a, a grander representation of what the table looks like in, in a Middle Eastern home. You know, you have all your bits on the table. You don't just have one plate in front of you, as you said, with your meat and your two veg and you sort of just eat it from your own plate. You're, you're dipping into different things, you know, the salads, the dips, the, the meats, the rice. And I guess was that sort of quite important for you to... It's very important. Also, what we also had in mind is the, the markets, the food markets that we have in, in the area where, you know, you go and there's so many textures and so many colors and smells and and you can actually eat your way just walking around the, the, the food market which is something that we we don't have here. I mean, farmer markets, or it's not really, it doesn't cut no, it. it's not really the same. You know, it's kind of, really kind of foodie heaven. And uh, you just walk around and eat stuff and, you know, you buy pickles and olives and, you know, you stop and have, uh, I don't know, whatever, like they serve in. And um, this is what we wanted to, to show as well, that, you know, it can be somehow brought into a, a little shop in West London. Mm. Well, you did very well. And as I said, you <laughs> definitely you. looked after my tummy for many years <laughs> and still do. Um, you guys obviously, you know, wrote two books. You um, had the Ottolenghi cookbook and you had uh, Jerusalem. Why was it important to write Palestine? Was it because you felt like you needed to get your story across in terms of educating people on Palestinian food? You know, as, as we both have mentioned, we all know Lebanese we know a few other cuisines. What was what was the message behind it when you decided to do it? I mean, first of all, it's a book that I always wanted to write, but also we are using now the terms, the terms of, you know, Middle, Middle East and Mediterranean. It's a huge place. It's like so many countries and it's it's very difficult to navigate around. And people still ask, what's the difference between Lebanese, Palestinian, Syrian, Jordanian? Yeah, Egyptian and you know the massive countries and you know each each region like Palestine is quite small, but each region have its own kind of specialities or dishes or ingredients, and uh, when you say Middle Eastern, it's a lot of countries, and I wanted to focus on 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 Palestine or Palestine because this is the area that I grew up in and also the the food that I grew up eating and the food that I carried with me the whole time you know all my career kind of got influenced by it and uh, because what we said earlier with uh, the area is so bombarded by so many negatives um, I wanted to show that actually it's, it's not this way yeah. and you can eat really well and it's a very colorful place and uh, very welcoming people and uh, what better way to do it than, you know, just celebrate the food of the, the place. And people, I mean, people just buying the book and just looking into the, the stories like, wow, you opened this new kind of uh, window to a place that we never even kind of thought have this kind of heritage and rich culture and rich food. And uh, and it's a wonderful thing to, to, to do. No, and I, and I think you were very mindful... Um, because I did spend a couple of days reading through it and even I feel like I've been educated over the past couple of days reading through it because you've been mindful not to discredit or ignore the deep meaning and history of, of Palestine. 
Um, and you do perfectly tell its story through recipes, but also through the people that you've met, mm-hmm. you know, along your journey there. And, you know, that's kind of like what I'm all about with Crazy Sexy Food. It's not just about the food. It's also about the people that are making the food and creating. It's always. Always about that. And so do you feel that was sort of the perfect way to, I get, to, to tell the story? I could have just done it really easily by telling my story and yeah. my connection to the food and, you know, the recipes. But uh, what I wanted to, uh, to do is to um, get people to, as many people, I mean, we had more profiles, but we couldn't include all of them, where there are different people. And, you know, there are normal Palestinians living in modern Palestine, uh, you know, doing their best to maintain whatever they they want to do, like the two chefs or the lady who does the maftoul or the seed uh, library lady. I actually just wrote down in my notes my two favorite stories. I haven't read all of them. I'm going to be honest, but I'm getting there. My two favorites so far um, are the yogurt making ladies in yeah. Bethlehem. Yeah. Because that story made me laugh, especially when you're trying to find the place yeah. and you're like on Waze and Waze tells you that you're going through like and a highly like, oh. dangerous area or something. <laughs> I'm like, what? I didn't even know that Waze did that. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. Um, and the other one that, again, I think for me was huge education and maybe this was me being quite ignorant, um, was the story about the Nassar family and finding a loophole to keep their farmland. I didn't realize that Palestine was divided into areas. You know, you've got area A, B, and C. And I actually ended up then Googling it and like really reading about it. And I can't imagine living in an environment like that and knowing that if I sort of cross a certain part, I'm now in a different territory and, you know, fighting for what rightly was my, the land of my ancestors. Yeah. But this is this is uh, something that goes really blurry after a while when you're yeah. there because who owns it and you know who's strong and who's weak and you know they I mean these guys get in you know fines and court orders on a weekly basis and you know if you miss the court order you get in trouble and you know they, they just put it in a kind of awkward place so mm. they don't go and hand it to them they just kind of put it in in a place next to the gate or something like that oh really yeah so but you know saying that these guys are so optimist and so positive and you know they want to invite people to come and help and hear the story and tell the story and this is a kind of really kind of inspiring and also humbling in a way because for a normal person, we just kind of, like, fuck it, I'm just going to, sorry about that. No, don't, you can, but, we <laughs> love swearing on this podcast, don't worry. It's like, <laughs> fuck it, I'm just going to leave it. It's like, they can do whatever they yeah. want with it. But actually, what they're doing is keeping a chin up and it's like, okay, I'm just going to fight it, but I'm going to also involve the world with it. And, and they do it so well. But that's what I also got from some of the stories. And also, I, I apologize, I forgot her name, but the lady who um, looks after a lot of disabled children. Islam. No one seems... That was it, Islam. No one moans. No one's sitting there saying, <clears throat> my life is so tough and, you know, have pity on me. It's not about that. It's about, this is my situation. I'm going to make the best of it. And it comes... I'm doing it all from the right place. And I will keep going. Yeah. And this is what, I mean, Islam is a, an amazing woman. I mean, she's 
she wanted to help her kid because you know she ended up with this disabled kid and there was nowhere she can take him or just put him or no school no education and she started cooking with people and uh, this is how she earned the money to open a school in the camp then other women came and to, uh, to help her in the uh, kind of project and they uh, benefited from it and they they do it in in such a i mean she always have a big smile on she doesn't want to complain about anything she said you know i wasn't born in in the refugee camp but this is my reality at the moment and i'm just gonna do the best i can to provide my community and my kid the best i can absolutely and then obviously alongside the stories you have all of your wonderful recipes yeah um i made your father's eggs yesterday for lunch and they were phenomenal and i made so much extra za'atar sauce that I ate so much bread by the end of it because I was I was practically soup. It was like soup. I was just like just the best. Just, oh, it was just amazing. <laughs> so thank you for that. I'm yet to make the shatter. Is it shatter? Yeah. Um, I need to buy some more chilies, and I've been told I need to decide whether I'm in the red or the green camp. I have the feeling you're going to be red. Really? Yes. Why do you think that? <laughs> red chilies have uh, natural sweetness to them, and also it looks a lot prettier. Yeah. I think. When you kind of can you explain it. for anyone who doesn't know what what shatter is? Shatter is a um, way of again preserving food. They had so much chilies that they um, either dry them or they slice them and mix them with salt, and they leave them in a cool place for three days. So it start to fizz, and then they blitz them and add vinegar and lemon juice to them. And Amazing. this is what kind of preserved them. And then you top it up with olive oil so it doesn't get any funny kind of fungusy, yeah. unwanted things. So it kind of, you can keep it in the fridge for a while. You and, can, you, you can yeah. keep it for, I mean, you're not going to keep it. You're going to be Yeah, no, I'm it. I don't, <laughs> I have, I have a, a very high threshold for chilies. So yeah. this will be going on everything. I mean, it's not, I mean, it depends on the chilies that you use. It's not very spicy. No, and the longer you, you leave it, the milder, but also... Uh, more interesting it gets yeah. because you know it's a live thing it's still kind of fizzing and doing their, its thing and uh, it gets sweet or sour or all of them and a bit of kind of um, uh, spicy but it's so moorish and i mean i put it on a toast in the morning oh, yeah it's I'm so like, delicious. Put, i put that sort of stuff on everything yeah, it's just, so delicious i can't wait and also um there was one dish that actually reminded me of of a very famous Iranian dish that my mum makes, which was the you make this upside down rice with the lamb, um, which reminds me of like the Persian tadiq. Yeah. And the way that you described it in the book, which is like, don't be scared when you're flipping it over, because every time my mum is trying to flip the rice cooker over, it's always like is it gonna? Is it gonna come out? Yeah, is it yeah. not? Um, and also a really beautiful dish to put on a table. Yeah, uh, it's called malube or makluba. It's uh, yeah, literally translate to inverted or upside oh, okay. down. And uh, this is a kind of um, a good example of Palestinian cooking, where they take a little bit of meat, a lot of vegetables, and a lot of rice, and you feed. A, a big group of people because meat all days was you know expensive so mm. they will buy half a kilo of minced meat and do the best like vegetables stuffed with rice or you know wonderful they will buy you know whatever in the season but also they can feed a lot of people you know 
bulgur or rice, just kind of to bulk it up. Mm. Um, makluba is a very kind of uh, every day. I mean, every, people cook it every day, but it's it's not as elaborate as we did for the book because I just want to kind of make of course yeah a centerpiece. And also with the recipes in the book for people that haven't read the book how dare you but for people that haven't got it yet um have you made the recipes as authentic as you possibly could or have you slightly altered them for the western palate we have um we had in mind you know people that don't have the time to spend three days making a dish uh there's quite a lot of traditional dishes like the musakhan um, the cauliflower fritters, there's quite a lot of traditional dishes, but also people don't have the time to core vegetables and, you know, marinate. And so it needs to be quite fast. So we took the essence of the dish and we didn't try to um, uh, kind of destroy the, 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 the flavor, but just kind of make it easier. Or the process just kind of takes sort of three hours, 20 minutes. And yeah. Of course, I mean, we had in mind, you know, uh, people like me and you where, you know, they don't have the time to stand and cook in the kitchen. Nowadays they do. And it's a wonderful <laughs> thing because they do stuff like the shawarma pie and very uh, elaborate. Yeah, that one yeah, looks amazing. Very elaborate and pumpkin stewing. But actually you want to do salmon skewers with a kind of, uh, these are the dishes that want, people want to cook mm. on a daily basis. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, we did, we stayed we stayed uh, loyal and true to the to the Palestinian pantry, and some dishes are new, and this is a a good thing, I think. Do you cook a lot of Palestinian food at home, just as sort of on your day to day? Yeah, life? whenever I feel kind of homesick or a bit kind of down, or it's the the first thing you go to, you want yeah. something kind of comforting, comforting. So I would do something really kind of. Uh, and what would be your speciality? Uh, it, it's moody thing. I mean, I'm sure you know it as well for yourself. Cause, you know, you, every time you feel something else. Like yesterday, I made these um, uh, broad beans with lemon and, and olive oil. They're delicious with lots of herbs, and just had it with a um, simple steamed couscous. That sounds delicious. Yeah, I love broad beans. Yeah, I, I read an article uh, recently, um, and there was a bit of a delay in the book because of some health issues that you had. Do you feel that this has slightly altered the way that you now live your life and you eat? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> He's still doing what he wants to do. I, I just wanted to get out of the hospital and straight back to work. Absolutely. Uh, Palestine was meant to be um, published two years earlier, but okay. because of my health, we couldn't do it. Uh, in a way, I'm, I'm glad it happened because um, some other really fantastic books came to the market and they somehow paved the, the way to Palestine. Um, so there was a reason why it all probably Yeah, and then, the way you know, did. we were hit by this virus. Corona was just kind of really horrible to us. But the book, you know, is doing really, really well. People endlessly cook from it. And it's a wonderful thing to see because also it's a type of food that you want to eat. It's a very home kind of uh, cooking and there's quite a lot of comfort in it as well and also a lot of the dishes feed a whole family you know and also like it doesn't nice require big... really elaborate yeah. ingredients i mean people that are familiar with our uh, the autolenghi pantry 
they already have most of the stuff and the spices really i mean i'm uh, i'm trying to think apart from the sumac and the zatar um most spices are kind of around aside obviously from your own restaurants um where are some of your favorite restaurants in london and could you recommend me any palestinian restaurants there's one not far from you it's called meramie cafe it's a gazan um, family ne- next to the tall building it's on goldborn road Godogon. oh it's very close to yeah. me Okay, is that good? I've walked past it for years. <laughs> it, it's really good for what it is. Okay. It's really good. Okay. And you, you're going to enjoy the food. Okay. It's, oh God, it's been uh, nothing fancy. No, it's, but it's... But it's, a, it's a would you really, say it was sort of the closest to traditional sort of... Yeah, yeah. and also it's all freshly made. So you order it, uh, they, they do it for you, which is really nice. Other, other, other favorites? Uh, so many. Uh, like uh, Brad... Um, bright I, I i don't like to give people names because um i just feel like i'm neglect, neglecting this one or this one so yeah i know i know that feeling yeah. and also to be honest with you, there's so many wonderful places out there that it's yeah. quite difficult also to choose i end my chats with a few quick fire questions okay my favorite snack of all time is a packet of crisps what is your favorite flavor of crisps and why Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I like uh, not crisp tortillas. Okay. Yeah. So like a tortilla chip, like a... Yeah, just the, 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 the original uh, flavor. Uh, from like a Dorito? Yeah, yeah. So the Cool Ranch flavor? Yes. Interesting. <laughs> I don't take you as that kind of man. Okay, I like that. I'll take it. And are you, are you dipping that into something? No, I normally just, just eat Just eat the whole yeah. bag? Yeah. What is the craziest food you've ever eaten? Oh God, in Japan, it was in... Um, the answers always start with Japan. <laughs> no, because it was uh, such a kind of strange experience. Um, but I don't, not sorry. To, they, they have in the season, in the spring, these little tiny fishes. And they give you a shot with um, bonzo, something kind of sauce. And you just have to take it like that. And you're not supposed to swallow it. But to chew it. Nice. Uh, I mean, it was, it's crazy, but it, it, was, it taste It right? was mental, yeah. I was like, because, you know, you have a, a moment where, what shall I do? Shall I spit it out or just kind of So can going? you, is, is the fish alive? Yeah. So can you feel it moving? In, yeah. Oh, no, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Okay. So this is the wackiest thing. Right, yeah, that is quite, well done you. <laughs> What's the most memorable meal you've ever had? I can talk about recently, I went to my sisters and they all joined effort and they cooked me a beautiful meal. It was me and Jeremy and it had uh, so many dishes, moussachan and three types of uh, kibbe mm. and um, uh, yogurt stew, There's so many, there were like uh, probably seven or eight dishes plus all the little side dishes with them. Yes. So yeah, it was quite special. Was that was that here or was that no, in, in, in Jerusalem? Oh, it amazing. was last year. Okay. Yeah. How often do you go back? Uh, last year I went three, four times. I, I try to go every three or four months. Oh, wow. Okay, you're there yeah. quite frequently. Yeah. Oh, amazing. It's, it's not complicated to get from here to there. No. Five hours. Oh, it's nothing. And finally, live to eat or eat to live? Live to feed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, plot twist. Live to feed. Yeah. 
Okay, I like that. I've yeah, never be, had that answer. Because my, my father and my mother kind of very influenced the way I cook and feed and eat. Uh, my mom used to cook to feed and my father used to cook just kind of to uh, the pleasure of cooking. So I, I enjoy both. I, I enjoy... He, he also was kind of enjoyed eating, but uh, I, I enjoy more feeding people than, you know, eating myself. I love that. I think that's a real true testament to who you are as a person and, you know, what you've, where you've come from and I guess the deeper meaning behind it all. I think that's really beautiful. Yeah, and, and deep inside me, I have deep a mother who wants to feed. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sammy, thank you so much for joining me. It's been really, it's been a really beautiful chat hearing about your background about Palestine thank you for educating me because um, I needed to have a bit of education and I will continue reading the book and I think I'm going to go home and make my shatter and I'll let you know if I'm on the red or the green side but I think you're probably right I think I will be on the on the red team <laughs> you can follow Sammy on social media at Sammy underscore Tamimi until next time thank you Thank you for listening and joining me this week. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend and another and maybe another. Don't forget to follow all the crazy sexy antics on Instagram at crazy sexy food. And please visit the crazy sexy food YouTube channel where you will find the food show, how to videos, interviews and everything in between. Until next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.